0: This is the Two Spies Podcast, a part of the Life family. Get ready to dig deeper in the Bible, have your worldviews challenged, and gain some different perspectives. Now, the conversation begins with your two spies, David and Mark.
1: So this is uh, basically from death of Christ to the resurrection to working towards explaining the whole creation and birth of the church part two yes continuing wait a minute 101 part two
2: <laughs> yeah the the basics we're not going in depth too much yeah.
1: so i wanted to end with this last time and you were kind of going back hitting any, any, a little bit of anyway with works good yeah. works and that kind of stuff but right. i had actually intended to use for the last page of my notes on the last one to be the first page of this one i don't think we made it to it because we were we had just said so much
2: yeah, I think we just pretty much said, okay, we've done enough. We said a lot of words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We usually do. That's okay. People can hit the pause button and come back.
1: Yeah, they can. So, what I kind of started my notes from the get go, any anyway way with this, was I came across something. I think it was from a, like an English 2 class. So, what was laid out for me was uh, a claim, reason, evidence, acknowledgement, and response to like opponents' questions. Uh and a warrant but uh, I kind of worked on that premise a little bit so the first one being claim what's your question Uh, what's the answer to your question excuse me (laughs) Jesus Christ is the way to heaven and he will resurrect the dead to life that's the answer to my question reasons why should I believe that claim because the judgment awaits man (laughs) wrongdoings must be paid for and then I'm supposed to give evidence being question is how do you know that now, this is—well, whatever you think of this, I'll just say it. Okay. I have the evidence of other things he has promised in my life, so his words are trustworthy and true. It's not all 2,000 years ago. Some of it was yesterday. Yeah. That's that's evidence to me.
2: Yeah, I think—yeah. yeah.
1: So, acknowledgement. Uh, this section was like in—because in, in the English 2 class, it was kind of like you're trying to build an argument and, and write a paper on that kind of thing. Right. And support your, your argument throughout— but you're supposed to acknowledge and anticipate questions and respond to those. So the question would kind of be from an unbeliever or whatever or somebody who wants to argue about it. What about this other view? So what we kind of discussed in the last one when we talked about works etc. Mm-hmm. These other views, Islam offers no assurances and no grace. Buddhism offers no god. Period. Reincarnation offers no rest. Science offers no last question. Philosophy offers no final answer.
2: (laughs) Sorry. That was too funny.
1: Paganism offers no unity. Atheism actually offers you nothing. Nothing is in quotation marks there. (laughs)
0: Literally,
1: they offer you nothing. So, and ask you to believe that. Um but the warrant section, the warrant is to uh, logically bridge the gap between my evidence and my claim. My evidence was I have evidence of my life 2,000 years ago and yesterday. My claim is Jesus Christ is the way to heaven. He'll resurrect the dead to life. So maybe I did this in my answer, but bridging the gap between <laughs> it, uh, there's the evidence of what's happened in my own life. I came to believe stronger in Jesus when I sat at home reading the Bible alone for some months. I kept reading that he fulfilled prophecies so I started looking for these in the Old Testament prophecies that he answered and the more I came across, the more I believed. Especially after hearing the probabilities and unlikeliness of a single person fulfilling these many prophecies in a single lifetime. We've all heard like uh, the mathematical games where if you you colored a, a gold coin black on one side with a permanent marker, and you buried it in a sea of one-foot-deep gold coins, the state of Texas, over, and you flew over it in a helicopter and jumped out and dug down with your hand and picked that one out, blindfolded, that that's the probability of one person fulfilling like 30 of these prophecies?
2: Something like that. I don't know exactly, but it wasn't all the prophecies. It was a very small amount of
1: the ones he actually did fulfill. So, and some of these we'll get to tonight when we're talking about, because I'm, I guess I'm trying to bring a synthesis or a synchronization between the gospel accounts of the whole crucifixion. And so, in doing some of that, we'll come across some things that will be like, if he was trying to fulfill prophecy to make us believe he's Messiah, how did he talk his enemies into doing certain things while he's nailed to a cross <laughs> that fulfilled a prophecy about him?
2: That's, yeah.
1: So... That's a good point. Kind of powerless there when you're nailed to you know a big piece of wood, bleeding to death.
2: Yeah, I th- I think in the, throughout this podcast we're going to be kind of going back and forth as far as the crucifixion and the resurrection and um dealing with different things. So yeah. we're not going kind of like he died and then he rose again. We're going to kind of go back and forth because I think we both have points to hit and conversations um, yeah to bring to the table. <clears throat> um. I guess kind of going into the works based on what we talked about last week with karma and and even what you you started the podcast with as far as what each belief system gives you yeah. um, like Islam does give you assurance or et cetera um, I kind of want to also do a um, just a basic overview of the the law the Torah um, for the Christian view because to understand the sacrifice understand his the, the death and resurrection of Christ. Um, I think it's important. Sorry, David's drinking water and making me laugh.
1: At <laughs> least um, it's just not uh, you know, calories or something.
2: Zero calories. I mean, negative so, calories. Um, so I think it's important to under not just to be presented of a guy who died on the cross and rose again from the dead, but the purpose of why. Um, so the purpose of the law, why we need a sacrifice, and because mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of. Um, <clears throat> When I see people write about the law um new new believers in today's society, um when they talk about the law and and talk about they want to follow the law, um I think there is a misunderstanding um of their passion and desire to do that, meaning I'm not sure they understand the purpose of the law, and I don't understand what i don't understand I don't think they realize. What the cross and the resurrection... Do
1: you think the purpose of the law at the time of the law, pre-cross, was different than the purpose of the law now, post-cross?
2: Uh, I don't think... I, I think so. I think it was different. I think the purpose is different. Um, and we talked about last... I think we talked about it last week where I gave the idea of, you know, if Hitler comes to your door and you're hiding a Jew... And, well, the law says don't lie. lie. And so do you not lie and you give up the Jew? Um, Or do you hide the Jew and lie? Um, And obviously – there's a weightier matter of
1: Hitler's at your door. You might want to, if you're going to do something that's, against, you know, against the law, you go ahead and murder him.
2: Well, you can end the World War Two, yes, you, right. you could, yeah. <laughs> that's a good idea. Uh, good job, I, David.
1: I shouldn't have said that. But so, uh,
2: you sh- thou shalt not murder. <laughs> so yeah. you, yeah.
1: But instead of lying, you know. oh, yeah.
2: so and then when Jesus comes on the scene, you know, um, you know the the Pharisees try to get him in these traps of. Um, hey, your guys are eating on the Sabbath, or and da- Jesus is like, well, have you not read in the scriptures what David and his men did? Um, or hey, you shouldn't heal this guy on the Sabbath. Or um, so these, guy, these guys are focusing on on the concrete ab- uh, the concrete law, but Jesus focuses on stone law. Yeah, there is a there is a spirit <laughs> of the law. Jesus says, okay, yeah. you, that you shall not martyr. That's right. Good job, guys. But if you look at a person, and hate them. You've already committed it. Yeah. Time out what? <laughs> um so there's a spirit it's not the law cannot make us right with God. The right shows us that we are very far off from God. Hence we have to make sacrifices. And so when Jesus comes he he you know doesn't sin and he be he, you know he died and God accepted his son as the final uh whatever word I'm looking for propitiation. <laughs> That's
1: exactly what was on tip of your
2: tongue. <laughs> there you go. Um, so God accepted His Son as a sacrifice. Um, so it means. So when the Bible says the law is fulfilled, it means that we. It doesn't mean that we don't stop repenting because we stop sinning. It means we don't have to offer animal sacrifices um, because Jesus paid that penalty. He became that yeah. sacrifice. As long as we. Um, do the ask for forgiveness through his name so it's... But he
1: worked the system for us right i think that's one of the things that i've noticed in talking to people who got saved through the church and then left because they joined some messianic group and they they go to the messianic group under the premise that they are going to a messianic believers group and they end up getting so interested in the law and interested in learning hebrew and learning from a rabbi, or sitting under a rabbi is the term I've heard a lot. Yeah. They get so into that, they get an elitism to their thinking, like they're above normal Christians, and they seem to fall more and more back into illegalism. And they'll deny that every time. Anyway, yeah. but they get back into the system that they bond their self under and to. When Jesus, the whole purpose was he, he did the system. The system's not abolished. No. That's what they'll throw up. It's not abolished. not done away with, but he, he worked the system already, and yeah. and it's finished. It's a whole yeah. different deal. But that's why I was asking you a while ago if you thought the law had a different purpose before and after, pre- and post-cross.
2: I think so. I mean—
1: I was just wondering if, there was, if we disagree, but there's still nothing we disagree on. Really.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Abraham lied, but he still did things—I mean, this is obviously before Moses wrote the law, but still— um, God doesn't God still hates liars um, lying still a sin so um, so when Abraham lied um, and, and still throughout his obedience to God God credited it him as righteousness so you know there's still sinful acts we commit and do but you know you know like Jesus was it Jesus has said or was it John the Baptist that said God I could raise any one of these stones as a child of Abraham yeah so don't think you're some mighty goody two-shoes just because of, of a bloodline or lineage yeah. because the whole purpose of the bloodline was for the Messiah to come and, yeah. and the guy to separate a people for him and you know the Jewish people were marked with circumcision and as a physical appearance and when Jesus comes and now there's no Greek there's no Gentile uh, in Jesus' name, we're marked at the circumcision of the heart, as Paul says. Is yeah. and you said it, it. It's weird. One thing you said many podcasts ago, which has always resonated ever since you said it, because I don't know. It's just one of those things where it huh, was good. It, I, I think it's awesome, but <laughs> it's 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 when it comes to the foot of the cross, we're all equal at the foot of the cross. Yeah, and there's no, you know, Jesus is the supreme being. There's no um, famous guy who's worth more than. A person loading a trash bag and taking out the trash and Jesus we're all equal um, and so there's no we're all equally nasty
1: dirty sinners yeah new savior it don't matter if you're a
2: Jew <laughs> or a Greek yeah um, so I think that sometimes we we try to appease we want to appease God by obeying this Old Testament law which we again um, are going back to an old system I'm not saying don't you know. Well, we, we according to lie. Hebrews,
1: is an obsolete system. It's over. Yeah, I mean, in, in the author of Hebrews' wording, it's done. It, it doesn't have a purpose anymore. It's done away with.
2: Yeah, and let me ask you, how, what what do you think the best wording is when when someone says, um, you know, New Testament Christians are are anti-law, um, we're, we're grace-driven. Um, how— how I'm not sure the best way to word it when we're not tossing out the law because obviously we believe there's a moral code. Um, there is a law that we try to obey to please God and to keep ourselves separate from the world's standards. Um, do you have any kind of wording to that you would say to someone who um, says that kind of thing where, well, the law's important. Well, we know the law's important, obviously.
1: If you don't think the law's important, then, and you're all grace Christian, then you need to read your Bible. If yeah. you think that those who think that grace is, uh, oh, oh, what's on the flip? Side? How do I word the flip side of that? If you get into legalism, yeah, you need to read your Bible.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This huh.
1: is the same old argument, though, that it, all of us sit around occasionally and talk about. And there's there's people out there listening to our concrete. Uh, podcasts who are just like us and two buddies who always talk about scripture when when we get together period yeah uh so we those guys have the same conversation that we have all the time and one of those is the whole paul versus james deal and we know there's not a versus there it's not a a opposition and concept they do agree with one another two sides of one coin
0: yeah
1: so i mean that's what I mean when I say if you're, if you're on one side of the coin only, you need to read your Bible. If you're on the other side of the coin only, you need to read your Bible.
2: Yeah, it's like a both and. It's just yeah, we don't – it's through Jesus that we're made right with God and not obeying the law and i think sometimes we can get into that work environment where as long as we don't lie and don't say the wrong cuss word and
1: you can say um, the right cuss word <laughs> just don't say the wrong one
2: and honor your parents and don't work on the sabbath and um accept all the et cetera, et cetera et cetera um as long as we don't do any of that we're, we're right with god but that's not true it's, the only way we are made right with god is through accepting the final sacrifice of, yeah. of jesus i mean right now there's jews who are about the Torah, who, who are obedient to the law, but except are,
1: making sacrifices in the Temple Mount,
2: huh?
1: except making sacrifices. I mean <laughs> let, I mean let's, let's talk about Orthodox Jews today. they cannot do the entire law. If they did actually try to do the entire law, we would hear about it on the news here in America. <laughs> so I mean they're not doing the law because they can't go up on Temple Mount. And do a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice there for their sins. They can't perform anything for Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, for the whole year, for the whole nation of Israel. They cannot. So there's no way any Orthodox Jew can say that they're keeping the law. That's a good point. I met one on a plane one time. I think I told you this conversation, but when I asked him what they do, I was trying to be as innocent as possible. But when I asked him what they do, since they don't have a temple and can't go there and do sacrifice, he says, oh, we just have a day of the year we call it even. Whatever. Well, Sorry, but... That's that's whatever.
2: Not, you, you, you can't pick and choose what to believe in the Bible We're just going to say do. it's just done. Yeah. So uh, I just want to make sure, you know...
1: I want to it, throw it out there, though, that what I was trying to get at is, and for any of you who want to look at it, look at the book of Hebrews, period, with with the issues of the, how the law has become, but Hebrews 7, we'll start you out with Melchizedek and walk you through how Abraham offered to Melchizedek, who is... Uh-huh greater than Jacob, who is greater than, uh, excuse me, who's greater than Isaac, who's greater than Jacob, who's greater than Levi. So the whole Levitical system offers up through Abraham to Melchizedek. So the Hebrew, uh, book of Hebrews makes this whole big deal with uh, Jesus and Melchizedek being a type of the same king-priest. But they come to, uh, let's see, for when there, this is Hebrews 7, 12, for when there is a change in the priesthood, There is necessarily a change in the law as well, for the one of, uh, for the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe, for which there was never anyone who served at the altar, for it is evident that our Lord was was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about the priest. Uh, This becomes more evident when another priest arises, arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent but by the power of an indestructible life. I really like that verse. <laughs> a priest who becomes a, a, a priest by an indestructible life, not just a blood lineage. Hmm. And either way, there's more to read there all over hmm. Hebrews about how the law is secondary compared to what is here now.
2: Yeah. And and the guys that we'll be talking about um, through this episode um, are guys that were in this system, in this Torah system, in this yeah. law system. And yeah. Um, so I just kind of wanted to tagline, uh, we we'll talked about with the works cause there's Christians, um, it, you know, or people who believe in Yahweh God, you know, Orthodox Jews who aren't messianic, who are similar in, in that category as far as working to appease God or obeying these set of rules to try to be in right with God, which it, it doesn't work. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. So. Um, kind of the rest of my stuff. I kind of hit in the resurrection. Is there anything you want to hit? Um, kind of, or do you want to hit the resurrection and you want to go backwards? Or
1: no, yeah, we'll go backwards the whole night. <laughs> <laughs> everybody put it in reverse, let's go. Okay. <laughs> no, okay. I was going to start with uh, kind of reading a bass line that being Mark, fifteen, and then i like I, I think I told you before we hit record that for the most part, uh I I put a bookmark in the res the the crucifixion resurrection section of each gospel, each four gospels and flip back and forth to check things against one another to, to kinda of see how things are worded differently, yeah. what that may indicate, if it's a big deal or if it's just a different word for the same thing, that kind of stuff. Okay. So
2: I hope uh, I wrote good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so Mark fifteen, I'm starting with thirty three through thirty nine. This is because we talked about last time uh, some trial how mankind has put God on trial Jesus coming in the flesh as as God in the flesh so he allows himself to be put on trial so just reading through this and I'll go through and grab some things like uh, the three hours of darkness quotes of psalm 22 sour wine that kind of stuff so mark 1533 and when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, Behold, he is calling Elia. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it and put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait. Let us see whether Eliab will come to uh come to take him down. And Jesus uttered in a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who had uh who stood facing him saw that this was the way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. Let's see, thirty-nine yeah, that's where I was going to stop there to Start picking on some notes
2: Well just reading that verse I know I know this is going In a different direction So I'm just I just want to say this For my future benefit Of looking But I think it's interesting That one um, They think he's calling Elijah And Elijah's a man of God Or a man of Yahweh And yet he This guy was a man Who they didn't think Was well, they thought he was blaspheming God. So I thought it was interesting. That why is he calling Elijah of all the prophets? Why Elijah? <clears throat> why a good prophet? <clears throat> and then they said, uh, "Wait and let us see whether Elijah comes and takes him down." I. That's not anywhere in the Old Testament, as far as Elijah rescuing.
1: Okay. Well, watch this, because I, mean, I hadn't thought about this until you pointed out to question it. Malachi four verses five and six, which is the last two verses of the Old Testament. What happens at the Seder meal of Passover? What do Jews do at the Seder meal? They leave a open spot, an open chair. They set a place there for Elijah. And then they have a certain song they sing, which I have in my little book right here. I won't try to sing it because I not remember the tune. <laughs> but they actually go to the front door of the house. They open the front door of the house, and they sing this song, which basically says, Come Elijah. They're inviting him to come back. So this is the concept that is tying Elijah to the Messiah. Malachi 4, 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children of their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So they've been looking for Elijah to return before the day of the Lord. They think.
2: It wasn't John.
1: Well, yes, it was John.
2: Well, they, they don't think it was John. They don't think it was time. John. Okay, so. And,
1: and the, the people who asked Jesus, was it John? He says, yes, it was John. He starts explaining that. Yeah. That he came before the awesome day of the Lord. Okay. And he comes saying, make, uh, make this what is it make a way in the desert, make straight the path for the Lord, so he is the forerunner of the Lord, but in their minds, what was the Messiah supposed to come do? I was literally writing a devotion about this this morning, so I went back and looked some of my uh some of my research in the past about uh the Maccabees, so we know when Alexander the Great dies, he has four generals, they divide up the Uh, The Greek Empire. So Ptolemy takes Egypt. Seleucid takes Syria. They're fighting all the time for more land. Where are they fighting? In the middle of their two properties. Where is that? Palestine or Israel. So they're fighting all the time. And at one point in... This is between the last page of Malachi and the first page of Matthew. But they're fighting all the time and the Seleucids are winning... So we all know the name Antiochus Epiphanes. He's going down trying to enforce, legally enforce, that the only God that can be worshipped in Israel is Zeus, a Greek god. So he's trying to go into Israel and force the priest, the Levitical priest system. Y'all the priest here? Well, you're going to you're going sacrifice what we say sacrifice and who we say sacrifice it to. So some of the research I had done on the Maccabees and that intertestamental period took me to find that the Greeks had been within their society and within Hebrew society for a while. So there was, it was not just the Greeks pushing down on all these poor Jews. There was a split in the Jewish society called Hellenistic Jews. They were, and I was thinking about this morning when I was really looking at that, like they really are Americanized Christians. Christians, if they read the Bible and see what it says, they take a lot of what's being taught on the television and in the university, and the textbook in the elementary school, et cetera. Right. They take all that and try to mix it together. That's a Hellenized Christian. It's an Americanized Christian. It's a Hellenized Jew. Then there are the ones who are, no, we're not, not how right. we're going to do it. We're going to do it by the book. And that's, that's the, uh, <laughs> no, I'm trying to yell at my, you know, that's my best Baptist voice. <laughs> but they're the ones standing on the church steps saying, we need to be as strict as possible with this book. So there you have it. And, and the Hellenized Jew and the Orthodox Jew, the Americanized Christian and the, I'll say, Orthodox Christian are at odds with one another. They don't agree. Yeah. So then the the Seleucid Greeks come in and they support the Hellenized Jews, of course, and they push and push and push. And finally, there's a time where this man, Mattathias steps up and he is an old priest. He has a bunch of sons. There's a, a representative of the Syrian king who's about to force a sacrifice to be done. And here's a Levitical priest guy coming up. He's going to perform the sacrifice like he's been told to do. Mattathias steps up, kills them both, starts a revolt. His sons, whom he has raised and taught to be the same, following that revolt. He dies in a couple of years, and it's not completed yet. His, I think his oldest son steps up and takes, his, takes the reins, Judas judas maccabee maccabee is not their last name that means the hammer huh. i really think uh if you do any research on uh lord of the rings i really think that and i, I need to do some more research myself on helm hammerhand if you remember in the second movie this would be the second book also like the two towers uh i think that was
2: my favorite movie
1: i think that's when they took refuge in the mountains. Remember the berserker who goes in and blows up with the the big bomb he blows up the wall? Yeah. That place is where there's a statue and there's a guy there in the statue he's holding a hammer. But he's somebody in Rohan's history who was a great fighter, you know, his uh, hero of sort. But they call him Helm Hammerhand and he's got this hammer so he's famous for that. But for some I really just think that it, uh, uh, Judas Maccabee, Maccabee meaning the hammer, Judas the hammer, I think he is an inspiration to Tolkien, possibly for that character. Right. I still do some research on that, but either way. So Judas Maccabee starts up the revolt that his dad started. He takes the reins, continues on. He also dies before it's all completed, but his brother Simon is the one who actually completes it. So when Simon finally beats the Greeks for good and... Israel becomes sovereign over their own land again, a sovereign nation. When he returns to the streets of Jerusalem, the people are waving palm branches. Palm branches are not a symbol of peace. They are a sign of victory. They carry a war tone. So, I mean, I ruined the entire devotional that I was going to put out. But either way. (laughs) So that's when they also appointed him. This is in a Maccabees, too, not not in... what we consider canon. But they also appointed him high priest and ruler. He is a king priest appointed by the people. Oh. So Jesus comes in, triumphal entry. John says, John 12, the people are waving palm branches. They're not saying like, oh, he's the king of peace. He's here. They're saying, start a fight.
2: Yeah, they, they want the Romans out.
1: Right. Yeah. So they're expecting Messiah to come and fight like mad, kick some Roman tail, and here he is nailed to the cross. Oh, he's calling Elijah. Elijah's supposed to come for the great day of the Lord. Maybe this is it. Let's let's wait and see.
2: Huh.
1: I'm just throwing all this I'll, out. I
2: still wonder why Jesus would be almost a key point for the coming of Elijah in their in their mind.
1: I think I'll, Elijah uh, is the key point for the coming of Jesus.
2: Well, I mean, like with all this surrounding Jesus, why would I mean they've had plenty of guys die or Jewish guys yeah. die. Why all of a sudden does this Jesus present this kind of possibility? S- possibility of yeah, the Elijah returning.
1: I don't know because <clears> if you examine <throat> the, the literal words uh, in Hebrew that he is saying here or Aramaic, he's not calling Elijah, and that's why I do pronounce yeah. Elijah that like we say in English, Eliyah. L El is God, E my. Yah is the name of God, Yahweh. So Yahweh is my God. Mm-hmm. So he is saying Yahweh, my God. Yahweh is my God. He is saying here L-O-E, L-O-E, my God. Yeah. Kind of. I, I know that could be maybe taken as that. And I'll, I'll say this too in my ignorance the difference in Aramaic and Hebrew,
2: very little.
1: Search if you want, but you, you might as well use it interchangeably.
2: Yeah. It, just real quick, because you brought up... Um, Oops. No. <laughs> I, I, I've had people ask me the, this question um, countless times, and I figure why not say it now, um, since you are talking about the influence of the Greeks coming in and, and the wars going on. People ask, um, I, I don't know if you ever had that question, but why is the Old Testament, or why is the New Testament written in Greek and the Old Testament in Hebrew when a bunch of the Jews... Why was not the New Testament being Hebrew? And it's because they knew Greek just as much, if not better, than Hebrew.
1: Lingua franca. Yeah. They've already been through the, uh, if you think about their history, they've been through the Babylonian exile. And they lost all their land for a long time. Before they went to the Babylonian exile, before Judah and, and who's Judah and, who's in the middle of Judah? Is it Simeon? So, So show some more ignorance here. (laughs) It's all good. Memorizing where the... uh, Yeah, Simeon is the the landlocked tribe within Judah. So they're the two tribes that still remained as Judah, and the rest of it was uh, called Israel, the other ten tribes. Syria comes first. The Greek influence is probably still there a great bit. Wait, Wait a minute, I'm thinking... I'm sorry, I'm way backwards on my time frame, but still... The Syrians would have come in. They exported Jewish populations in all directions. They would have come in contact if they sent them north and west. They would have come in contact with Greek-speaking people. But in a future time coming, the Greek influence would have been sweeping back east and south again. Either way, Greek becomes the lingua franca, that being the, the language of business for the day, just like English is today.
2: Yeah, I just wanted to bring that yeah. up just because I've had people ask me that question in the past and yeah. I figure since you said that I just
1: Well briefly... also if you go to uh go to Bible college now, are you gonna study a are you gonna go take a class on Torah or Pentateuch? Pentateuch. Yeah. yeah. Why? It was not it's not the Pentateuch. <laughs> right.
2: <laughs>
1: so either way. <clears throat> Thank you, Alexander the Great. You
2: yeah. Sorry, ahead. back to uh, Mark fifteen thirty three, <laughs> the verses you read, 33 through 39.
1: So we already talked about four of my points, so let's just close and go All home. Right. All right, sounds good. <laughs> See y'all later. <laughs> no, I was going to look at uh, three hours of darkness. I don't know if, how much sense it actually makes now, but I remember uh, one of my, my wife and I's Costa Rican mission trips, I got to preach on a Sunday morning when we got down there and I spoke on this right here. Let's see, but I think I used Luke by chance. Yeah, because my notes on this is, is in Luke. So uh this is Luke twenty-three, forty-four. It was about the it was it was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So I used this to uh bounce off of three hours of darkness just before the death of God's only son. I bounced back to Exodus 10, which had three days of darkness just before the death of the firstborn. And there was a whole bunch of little details that I thought were pretty neat there that I just kept both sections of Scripture running together because they keep reiterating or commenting on the same thing with one another. But
0: hmm.
1: Anything on three hours of darkness? What do you think of that?
2: Oh. Uh, something <laughs> really off the top of my head. Sorry.
1: Nope. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> The next thing I was going to grab was just uh, Psalm 22, because that's where the quote Quote. comes out of.
2: Is
1: that me or you? That's my
2: phone. Sorry, my phone's buzzing. Just ignore it.
1: (laughs) Okay, so flipping back to uh, Psalm 22. Let's see. Skipping past the little intro here. This would be the actual Hebrew of Psalm 22, Eli, Eli, not Eloe, Eloe, but Eli, Eli, Lama Azabtani. Azabtani is Azab. Would be, I think that's the same verb for helper, forsaken to leave. Loose, forsake. That's a primitive root, so there's no... I'm wrong. What is that? That's ezer, like Ezra. Yeah, because Eve was a helpmate to Adam. She was uh, ezer. So the, the key word here, though, is azab. Azab is to loose or forsake, to leave, to be left behind or to be deserted. So this might be one of the words that would be different from Aramaic to Hebrew. For It's the same arrangement. Azabtani, sabachthani. Ani on the end is I. Speaking Like if I'm speaking to you and I use a verb in a sentence that you are doing, but I attach ani on the end, it's a verb you're doing to me.
0: Huh.
1: But basically the same thing here. So to kind of look through some of the... Have you examined Psalm 22 before?
2: No, um, not really. I was just reading it. Uh, no.
1: Let's read through it because if you think about, and you'll come to things and you're like, huh. If you think about Jesus on the cross, I've always, and I got this from a preacher I used to look to on the radio. He said he kind of viewed most of the Psalms as like David is a third person witness to a conversation. And he said, if I read it in that sense, you get a whole different perspective, looking almost like you're listening to God, uh, Jesus talk to God. So, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's the exact quote that he uses. And from there, the, the listener standing beside the cross who would have heard this would have also said, what is he quoting that for? It would have had its own genre in a way that would have sparked in their mind. Yeah. Psalm 22. So, why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. So he is. It's funny too, if you go through the Psalms and you see the word saving or salvation, uh, the word here is Yeshua. <laughs> the funny thing is, why are you so far from saving me? From is me. And then on the end you have T, which is, it adds that pronoun. So Yeshua would be, or Yasha would be to save. But from, why are you so far from Yahshua? It's kind of there within the word. Hmm. Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. How could, if this is uh, kind of looking at Jesus on the cross, and he's hanging there on the cross by day, how could he be hanging there also at night unless he was just hanging there for like 24 hours? We know he didn't. Oh, it happened to get dark for three hours. (laughs) Uh, Yet you are holy and enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and, and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm, not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. So before we go on, do you know the Tola worm? We've talked about this. Yeah, we have. The tola worm is the worm that uh, they use in, or they, they harvest in Israel. It crawls up trees and it will attach onto a tree limb.
2: We talked about that in Jonah.
1: Right. Okay, so if you, the listener, remember that, the, the picture of the tola worm is kind of something we have here. Quickly, the worm crawls up, attaches itself to the branch. It's covered in a a white... <laughs> Flaky film, and they use it when they harvest it and you crush it, it gives off a blood red dye. So they dye clothes with it, but it'll hang there on the branch of the tree in that crusty white for three days. <laughs> <laughs> and then the little Tola babies will eat the body, like communion. They'll eat the body of the mother, and then they're all set free. <laughs> but the mother dies to give them life. So if you picture Jesus hanging on the cross and he's quoting Psalm 22, he says, I am a tolaat and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. It's a huge picture there. Hmm. pretty cool. Uh, All who see me mock me. If you've read the Gospels, Uh, (laughs) they make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Uh, they say he trusts in God, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him
2: and that 's a good verse, or that 's quoted in the gospels. why can 't he save himself
1: right, right, yeah, they stand down there and just shake their heads. uh yet you are he who took me from my from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother 's breast he 's saying, I belong to you from the time I was born when I was still when he was still being nursed as a regular little infant off off of Mary, drinking her milk. God, well, he's, he's saying already, you already claimed me. I was already yours. But on you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb, you have been my God. I, I guess I should emphasize, though, not just, here's a baby who belongs to God already, but he's saying, I was already called out to a purpose from the womb, yeah. which we know that's just plain gospel. That's not what we're talking about today with crucifixion, et cetera. But, right. Uh, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like, ravening and roaring, like a ravening and roaring lion. So here's a question. Bulls open their mouths like lions? Most likely a metaphor. <laughs> uh, Bashan. Bulls of Bashan. Bashan is, if I remember right, geographically across the Jordan. The area that... East Manasseh? You, who uh, stayed on the other side of the Jordan with Manasseh? East. Oh, Gad and Reuben. And the- East Manasseh, Gad and Reuben. When So when they came up with Moses and they fought Moab and Ammon and they took their land... And some of the tribes said, oh, I think it's pretty good right here. He's <laughs> yeah. like, you got to go over and fight with us. And then you can go back to your land. Then yeah. you can go back. So those are the guys that stayed over there. But I want to say, I'm looking at the map, but I don't, I don't see Bashan exactly, quickly here, and I don't want to spend forever looking for it. But either way, that's the problem with 100 maps is none of them are big enough to contain every single city name and if they have every single city name you can't find anything then yeah. but but Shan, if i remember right is uh on the east side of jordan and it was an area known for well-fed cows like really fat healthy cows so i think this is kind of a metaphor possibly saying who is around jesus at the cross fat well-fed priest they are the system They are running the system. They're running the show. And then Rome. Ravening, roaring lions. I am poured out like water. What happened when the soldiers stabbed him? And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt and my tongue sticks to my jaw. You lay me in the dust of the death. You lay me in the dust of death. So a couple of phrases here. He's poured out like water, so water pours out. All my bones are out of joint. Depending on where you read, what research about what happens to end a crucifixion is this person's shoulders will dislocate.
2: Yeah, guys stretch them. Right. Yeah.
1: So we also know, though, following along with him being the uh, sacrificial Passover lamb, the Lamb of God, uh-huh. no bones were broken. When they went and, and broke the other bones of the other prisoners, his bones were not broken because they he's already dead. Right. They, and if he was not dead, they would have broken his bones. Right? Uh-huh. They weren't trying to fulfill prophecy. They just did what was logically, like he's already dead. There's no reason to break his bones. Yeah. So
2: stabbing to make sure. It's, stab him yeah. to make
1: sure. And then the water came out. Uh, my heart is <laughs> like wax, you kind of picture this like a melted, a melting wax. But he said, "My uh, it is melted within my breast. Meaning that his heart is like liquid. It To me, it is almost, I hate to use the word metaphorically again, or figuratively, a broken heart. Like he died of a broken heart. We know the water joins around the sack, around the the heart, also when you have a heart attack. So he possibly had a heart attack as his last moment of... Actual physical death. Huh. My strength is dried like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. We're going to talk this talk about this in just very shortly. But he says about the wine. I'm yeah. I'm thirsty. Uh, my tongue sticks to, the, to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. So he dies and is laid in the grave. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. <laughs> we don't have to talk about this do we i mean it's <laughs> yeah. it's real plain it's, yeah. <clears throat> i can count all my bones possibly in his case because his skin was ripped off of a bunch of them uh, they stare and gloat over me so people were standing around the cross watching him yeah. they divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots which They're they soldiers, did soldiers yeah so Jesus is trying to fulfill prophecy to make sure that everybody believes he's Messiah because he's really not right. So he talks the, the soldiers into casting lots for his clothing, right? <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, it says, hey, would you guys mock me and yeah. pluck my beard, please?
1: Yeah, would y'all mind doing this after you crucify me? So,
2: so so I would say, you know, him quoting that verse is almost a reminder of saying, hey, this whole chapter is fulfilled in right. your view. I mean, right. you're without excuse, David prophesied this long ago. and
1: Yeah, yeah. That's the point I was wanting to get at when we kind of started reading some of this. Uh, but you, Lord, do not be far off. I don't want to not read the end of this because it's, it's good. It changes in a, a good way. Oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. So he makes uh, several dog, lion, and wild ox, or what was the other one? Bulls of Bashan. So bulls, ox, that kind of, is kind of along the same line. But he said it makes several different references in those ways. I think the dogs are pretty straightforward, you know, from a Jewish sense. They're they're Gentiles. So there you got Roman guards or Romans who are running the show. Uh. You risk me from the horns. So verse 22, this is Psalm 22. 22, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, or you who fear Yahweh, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you uh, offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him. He has heard when he cried to him. Shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Prosperity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord in the coming in the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. It is finished. It is finished. Yeah. <laughs> Wonder what the actual last words there in uh, in Psalm twenty two are written as not in English, but. Uh, we could waste some time on that. <laughs> I won't get into it. Let's let's go through the last couple of groups of verses here, because when he talks about, uh, I will tell of your name to my brothers. You who fear the Lord praise Him. He's not despised or abhorred you. Those who are afflicted. Can you see death in Hades? Or Hades, when Jesus goes down there in those three days. To
2: preach to the Old Testament. Right. Yeah.
1: He goes down there and and preaches the word to them. From you comes my praises in the great congregations. My vows I perform before those who fear him. Hades is divided into two different groups. Those who fear God and those who don't. Hmm. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Lazarus. Hmm. He was afflicted. He was not given bread by the rich man who had too much and plenty and extra. He is going to receive more later on in the afterlife. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before you. (laughs) Kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. He's the king of kings. This is getting towards basic basic eschatology in the end. End time studies that the whole earth is going to worship and bow down to him. But... uh, It's the last group, prosperity or posterity shall serve him. It'll be told in the coming generation, those who are not born yet, it's going to be told what's happened, (laughs) which is what we're talking about right now. We're talking about (laughs) the church, this whole deal. Uh, We'll proclaim his righteousness to the people yet unborn that he has done it. So those who are not born yet, who are going to be born in the future, are going to be hearing about this story we're talking about from now on. So, That's cool. So I I'm, I could be wrong in saying that. That's what I'm getting at with him quoting the first line of Psalm 22. It would have been hard for him probably in his state of health to <laughs> quote the whole thing. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, I think he said enough just for people to recognize. Yeah. What he was quoting from, and I mean, they even said you know this guy's quoting the scripture, so they recognized that he was quoting. Yeah. Where you know so. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> Sour wine. Head on? Yeah, go ahead. This is one that they kind of come up with some different stuff. Matthew says mixed with gall. Mark says it was mixed with myrrh. Whir. Uh, mur. whir. <laughs> gall and myrrh. John says it was offered on a hyssop branch. Excuse me. So I kind of went through some work I've done before on wormwood, which comes out of uh, Revelation 9, I believe. I think it's Revelation 9. Either way, I just did some work and study on Wormwood. Uh, That study took me into gall and that kind of stuff. So it all kind of falls together. The bitterness of Wormwood. Wormwood in the scripture is associated with bitterness, poison, and affliction. So Jeremiah writes, Lamentations 319, Remember my affliction and my bitterness, the Wormwood and the gall." When I was doing this study on Wormwood, that took me, in my mind, immediately to because uh, knowing the word gall being associated with Jesus and him uh, being offered wine on the, the cross. Matthew twenty seven thirty four, they offered him wine to drink mingled with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. So doing a little bit of uh, history search on that, the drink they offered was vinegar. It was a, like a light wine rendered acid, basically, It was a common drink of soldiers, but when they would give it to the people who were being crucified, they would mix it with a bitter herb, like, depending on which one you're looking at, gall or myrrh. But uh, altogether, this was like a, uh, it was bitter in taste, but it was also a painkiller. So that's why one of them says he's offered it, and after he was offered it, this happened. Or what the other one says, after he was offered it, he rejected it. And this happened. So did he taste it? Did he drink it? Was it put to his mouth and he tasted it and then saw what it was? Either way, we're not seeing that he took it and swallowed and drank and drank and drank and drank. Right. But uh, it was something I I thought was kind of interesting too when I was studying this that they would offer uh, criminals crucified they would try to give them a painkiller. It kind of gives you a different, there's different views I think we can see and individual people in the Bible—if you just read past them and you don't think about them—those evil Romans they crucified him. Well, these guys were being told, and that was their job every day to kill people. Yeah. At least one of them had a heart that says, "This is this is a hard job, man. This guy's yeah. suffering over here. Let's give him let's give him some painkiller." Yeah. To help him go on.
2: I mean, they're, you're just obeying orders.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh. Let's see, John's statement, 1929, a bowl, of, a bowl full of vinegar stood there. So they put a sponge full of vinegar on hyssop and held it up to his mouth. So the bitter herb in the Passover Seder meal represents affliction of life in Egypt. Egypt is a type of sin in the Bible. The bitter herb is linked to sin. It's linked to bitterness because when you eat it in the Seder meal, it's basically a reminder of our bitter life back there but their whole life within Egypt was, I mean, you hear preacher says a hundred times, Egypt is a type of sin, right? So, yeah. uh, hyssop is tied to some other things that when you look through the Old Testament is associated with purification. What do you need purification? Sin exists in a situation. So, there's a whole bunch of different things that is, is tied to purification and bitterness. It's first used in the Bible to apply the blood of the lamb to the doorpost at the Passover. So if it's linked with sin and it was the first thing, the first place it shows up is it was used to paint the blood on the doorpost, it was sin that placed Jesus on the cross. It was the bitterness or the bitter herb representing sin that applies the blood to the door. You kind of see there's a extra nice little picture inside of that. Um, one of my favorite places, Leviticus 14, which for you, the listener, Mark and I talked, you know, earlier when we get done with Luke and in, in morning devotionals, we're going to end up going through some some other stuff. We didn't decide to you know do the Leviticus next stuff, but I, I really love this chapter of Leviticus. If you go there and look at this kind of thing, uh, seems to be a it's it's also included in Leviticus 14. So it's a picture of sin. It's given in a ceremony for declaring a leper cleansed there is hyssop tied along with a live bird to cedar wood with scarlet yarn and it's dipped in a mixture of blood the blood of a sacrificed bird in fresh water in an earthenware vessel can you picture that you kill one you got fresh water in an earthenware vessel you kill one bird and you drain its blood into the water now you have a mixture of blood and water. Uh-huh. Just like what came out of Jesus, out of his earthenware vessel. <laughs> For we nothing but jars of clay, right? <laughs> so there's a jar of clay with fresh water in it. Fresh water is usually a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is, I don't want to say is Jesus, but they're both God and yeah. the Spirit of Jesus. Right. Uh, so you have the Spirit of Jesus and the blood of Jesus being mixed together within the body of Jesus. They they are the sacrifice, or that is the sacrifice bird. So that's the mixture that the other bird is dipped in. But how is that other bird dipped in that mixture? The other bird is dipped or is tied to a cedar wood, a piece of cedar wood with scarlet yarn. He's also tied with hyssop. So if you say hyssop is sin, the live bird is the sinner, your sin and you are tied together with. Scarlet yarn, that being blood, that ties you to the cross, the cedar wood, and you are dipped or quote-unquote baptized. You're submerged huh. in the mixture of blood that came from the sacrifice bird, which is Christ, and the holy the, the fresh water, which is the Holy Spirit, in the earthenware vessel, which is the body of Christ. You see a, n- a nice picture there. But what is this, this whole ceremony for? Declaring a, a leper cleansed. Lepers kind of. were never cleansed
0: yeah,
1: anywhere near Jesus' time, and he pops up all of a sudden. And the reason I ever got into this, because he cleanses some lepers, and he says, um, go see the priest about this. And the priest would have had to go back and look this up to see <laughs> what the ceremony is. <laughs> so, um, But anyway, once the is washed in the blood, it's set free. It's It's really an awesome picture of us. But all that's just because that contains uh, hyssop. Later in Leviticus 14, it's used for cleansing houses or cleansing ceremonies. Uh, Leviticus 14, Numbers 19. A sin offering must be taken outside the city is where that kind of, let's see. Yeah, Numbers 19 takes us to the uh, red heifer ceremony. The red heifer is kind of neat because it's kind of like, have you looked at that before? The... uh, so John the Baptist sees Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. Well, the red heifer is involved in a cleansing ceremony. And in a way, Jesus is the red heifer too. So a sin offering must be taken outside the city to the high priest.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Matthew twenty-seven forty-one. So also the chief priest with the scribes and the elders mocked him. Where did they mock him? Outside the city. So where were they? They were outside the city. So the sin offering was taken outside the city with the high priest that's <laughs> funny let's see mark fifteen thirty one luke twenty three thirty five says the rulers and I'm just telling you who is present according to all the different gospels uh Matthew says the chief priests Mark and Luke say the rulers John says many of the Jews and the chief priests of the Jews contested the sign that Pilate wrote. So they were outside when they saw the sign because Jesus was nailed to it and put up, and then the sign was put on uh They went outside the city for the not only for the offering of the spotless Lamb of God but for the red heifer without defect <laughs> in which there is no blemish and I'm literally quoting numbers nineteen two there The red heifer is one of the lo- uh was one of the laws for purification uh numbers nineteen ten this shall be a perpetual statute for the people of Israel. And for the stranger who sojourns among them, pretty neat that this happens to be with the red heifer offering. So I'll read it again. If the, if Jesus is the red heifer, if he is the perfect blemishless sacrifice that was taken outside the city, Numbers nineteen ten, and this shall be a perpetual statute for the people of Israel, and for the stranger who sojourns among them. Stranger here is gar. Which is uh Strong's says, is a newcomer lacking inherited rights. Strangers and Gentiles mentioned in different forms are included in the congregation often in Moses' law. Gar or Goyim are both included in different places within the law. Huh. So we've talked about it before too, when uh when you get to hmm. a certain a certain place in the cycle, the yearly cycle of Moses' feast, suddenly outsiders or gentiles are being invited into the priest. There's certain parts of it that are just Jewish. And then in certain parts that these are being invited in, but it's kind of neat that this this sin offering is going to be taken outside the city <laughs> is a, a cleansing for Jews and the Gar, the all the outsiders that are sojourning with them. <laughs> <laughs> Real That's picture fine. of the church here, which is kind of what we're working towards anyway. But yeah, That's uh, interesting. Anything else you think What we've come off of here? Yes, Sour wine, yeah. Yeah. Sour wine brings us to a (laughs) bull. Bull. Somehow. Uh, Let's see. Breathes his last. So just since we're coming off the wine, John says, after the wine is offered, he died. He breathes his last. From there, after he dies, we got Matthew, Mark, and Luke saying, after he dies, the curtain is torn. You You think about the curtain? You ever heard a preacher tell you how thick the curtain was? Nope. I've, I've heard, never heard that. I've heard 12 inches. I've heard 18 inches. Really? It does not ever tell you anywhere in the Bible how thick it was. So
2: I've never heard anybody say it.
1: This would be? Uh, I think I heard one guy. He was just trying to make a point of it would be impossible for a man to tear it in half.
2: That'd be 21 inches because seven times three is 21. If there's <laughs> seven's completion and three in the Trinity.
1: So Well, if it was 18 inches, that would be a foot and a half. So if you... If you divide it by three, you've got three halves, each one being six, six, and six. So it was four man. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> okay, so Matthew, Mark, Luke. By say, the way,
2: our commentary will be out very soon. For
1: sure. <laughs> <laughs> they say the curtain was torn. Uh, I did a little just <clears throat> looking back in my own notes about curtains, too. Curtains separate one area from the sight of another area. They block off visual access, right?
2: And I'll say the... Inner courts versus the outer courts, or the yeah. most holy place from the holy place.
1: Yeah. So the curtains first show up in Moses' tent, which is, you know, the same thing you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, 28 times in 12 verses in Exodus it talks about this curtain or the different curtains. Either way, it is for a separation to protect Israel from being able to see the ark, right? that 's dangerous, we know in other places like uh uh Utsa when he reaches out and touches the ark, he dies uh, Crispy critter <laughs> him and uh never mind we we 'll have to go down the crispy critter road <laughs> there's a couple of other people who got burnt for messing around with God too close to, but uh either way, just it just it was a protection, and like when i don 't remember the exact wording, but basically Moses instructs the Levites the different families who were in charge of different parts of the tent of meeting and the the outer curtain. Mm-hmm. This group takes the curtain. This group over here takes the, uh, they pick up and take the brass altar. And all the things they had to do, like the altars and the uh, lampstands, et cetera, those things had rings of some kind with them with poles through them. But with the curtains and the covering tarps that they covered over the actual Holy of Holies, and the whole tent of meeting, the tent itself, uh, some parts of those were taken and just simply folded back and forth and layered on top of the ark. So they didn't walk around with the ark showing all the play, all over the place all the time. They would cover it up so it would actually be covered from the eyes of Israel when it walked through them to huh. go anywhere so they wouldn't all be killed, <laughs> right? So uh, keeping that keep that in mind, really. That really is a main point of curtains that, that works, I think, all the way to Revelation We'll get to it in two seconds here. Uh, Isaiah forty twenty two. It is He who sits above the circle of the earth. We're not flat earthers, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> who stretches out the heavens like a tent to dwell in? So He stretches out the heavens like a tent. Which the tent we come off of Moses' tent, right? Is is made of curtains. First place that word is is mentioned. This is from a little thing I did with. Uh, when I was studying through Revelation 6, talking about fallen stars and winter fruit. But it has a section right here, which I think kind of represents what Isaiah is referring to. The sky is like a tent. The tent was made of curtains all linked together. It was for the cu- purpose of covering the ark so that people would not be killed from the sight of God or the presence of God. So Revelation six thirteen and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up. 15, then the kings, etc., basically all the people, hid themselves. 16, from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. So when the sky rolls up like a scroll, everybody can see God because they're trying to get away from him. It's almost like, and this is what I took out of that whole thing that when I was studying this, this guy is like a shield, like a curtain pulled across the earth. So we can't just look straight up and see God and the sight of him kill us. He's, he's performing a mercy on us, on mankind by having it there. And then revelation six, when he start, when they start breaking the seals, when the lamb starts breaking the seals on the scroll, and these things, these judgments start pouring out on the earth, the sky rolls back like a scroll.
2: And, and there that, he is.
1: Yeah, bam. And that's when they're high, they're running for the hills trying to find caves. And they're saying to the mountain, Follow on us so he can't get us and so we can't see him. Kind of stupid, but. <laughs> <laughs> I always well, we
2: stupid things sometimes. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Uh, Isaiah thirty four four all the hosts of heaven shall rot away and the skies up like a scroll a scroll all their hosts shall fall so we had the same thing in Revelation six the stars of the sky fall all the hosts shall fall some linking together back here between angels and stars references
0: huh.
1: I got a bunch more than what I'm reading that I don't want to bog us down in no you're fine <laughs> What kind of time are we looking at?
2: we got an hour and ten minutes.
1: <laughs> Let's keep moving. Mm-hmm. Centurion's Declaration. This is something we kind of talked about already. So quickly, uh, Matthew and Mark say, truly this was the Son of God. Luke says, certainly this man was innocent. Which we talked about last time, I believe. Yeah. Joseph of Arimathea. Just some details, like if you gather all the details up of the whole things, what I kind of brought out here. Matthew says he was a rich man who was a disciple of Jesus. Mark says he was a respected member of the council. So he's he's one of the monkey mucks. And he's a disciple of Jesus. Luke says he's a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. You see in the Passion of the Christ when they're performing the, the trial at night, uh-huh. there are some of the council members who start... Uh, Arguing against the high priest, and they start shooing them out. Yeah, and the small group of them that that did not agree did leave. But they they call the whole thing a travesty. It was a wrong thing to be doing it that way. Either way, that was one of those. Is probably Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. I would say.
0: Yeah,
1: John says a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. Uh, John nineteen thirty nine says basically shows you he was also a friend of Nicodemus. Mark and Luke say he was looking for the kingdom of God. Just an interesting thing there. You got a guy who's one of the uh he's one of the high rulers, yeah. a religious ruler, a religious leader. He's actually looking for the kingdom of God. He recognizes the Messiah when he comes. <laughs> what <laughs> Oh, there's a whole bunch of things we could ask there you can be a priest, you can be a pastor or a preacher. Still miss. You can still miss the Messiah if you're not actually looking for the kingdom of God. I don't know. What else are you looking for if you're not looking for the kingdom of God?
2: All kinds of things. The kingdom of man. Yeah. Well, I remember listening to a radio station and, um, not a Christian radio station. and They had a caller call in and, uh, it was a guy who said, um, He started looking up all these preachers, and a lot of them are very wealthy. So he said, "Why am I working hard for this money if I can just preach from this book and make a lot of money?" And the guy and so the the radio hosts were like, "Um, "Are you are you Christian?" He's like, "Oh no, I'm an atheist." But I mean, if all you need to do is read a book and tell others about it. I'm okay with that. I mean, as long as I I become a millionaire. So, um, it was an interesting conversation. I ended up calling in and they put me over the air with with the guy. But, um, it was just kind of interesting to hear that take of, um, when people's perception of of a preacher is, I ain't get money. Just, I mean, you don't have to believe in what you're preaching. Yeah. I mean, you don't even have to, I mean, you know, there's this, um, in a certain genre of preaching, there's this take of, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, easily influenced people. Yeah. Um, they're not thinkers. They're, um, I can't think of the word.
1: They're eaters. Yeah, they're they'll eaters. They'll eat they're, 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 they're gullible. They're gullible. Um, yeah. There's all
2: kinds of, you know, and when when you see this type, type of genre in, in some circles, there's you see that. These People were so. Oh, here, here's a thousand dollars to sow seed into a See ministry money. to believe that God's yeah. going to bless me eventually, you know. What I mean, for etc. And, and um, you know, you have a, an atheist who hears that and sees this guy has his own jet, he's got a Rolls Royce.
1: I don't like a jet,
2: he speaks to thousands of people, he's got influence. Yeah, and all he has to do is read from a book and get people hyped up. That's yeah. it, yeah. I can do that. I don't have to sit here and work an I entire job. I would say job. to the
1: atheist, though, go try it.
2: Yeah.
1: Go try it and see if it works then. Come back and let me know. <laughs> I'm not trying to be a smart uh, oh, I know. A I smart know. mouth, but I know. honestly, uh, if that's all it takes, if you're right, then go do it and let's see if it works.
2: Yeah.
1: But So what, what, I'm interested then. In, what was your commentary to him or your reply to him?
2: Well, I just asked him. Um, you know, you, you look at... Um, you're looking at a very small percentage of preachers who are millionaires. It's like, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of, quote, preachers around the world. Some are preaching in their home to a family of, you know, to, you know, a small village of maybe— they're probably preaching to maybe 10 people out of, you know, 50 or 60. Yeah. They're not well off financially. Yeah. But they their life was changed through God— And they believe that this has more impact than monetary. This has more impact than even food or water. This has eternal significance that if you make things right with God, God's going to watch out for you. You might die or eventually you're going to die. But man, what happens afterwards? Yeah. And I told the guy, I said, so, you know, I'm a minister and I'm not a millionaire. I've been in ministry for X amount. And I've struggled. And I said, so just because you see guys doing this thing doesn't mean it's going to work. Yeah. I said, and I told him, I said, yeah, if you read the Bible, you know, enough, I think you'll become a believer. I think God will get a hold of your heart. It's like, and, I, and I hope that if you decide to go this route, I pray God, because he was talking about going to seminary um, so he would know enough. To be able to, because of people, if you had to counsel people, et cetera. So um, I just want I mean, you're looking at a very small amount, just like, you know, there's successful businessmen and non-successful businessmen. You can't look at okay, a very so small So, what kind
1: of, uh, I mean, you really got to, you're really counting on pouring yourself into something that you're not into. It would be the same thing as me going to uh, university classes, university-level classes for sociology. business. Huh? Sociology. For sociology, yeah. <laughs> For business management of some kind, which I have no interest in at all. I don't want to get into the coat and tie world. I don't want to drive a BMW or a Rolls or something to a skyscraper in a city and walk in with, you know, a great watch and shiny shoes. I don't want that. I I would hate that. <laughs> but to say that I could make five times as much as I make now in simple money, if I actually invested a couple years in college in that and then go for that whole lifestyle, I'll I would miss my shovel and my meter. <laughs> I get to dig in the dirt. I get to work out in the woods, out in the country. I get to work in all kinds of places that are just neat and quiet and calm. And I, I, I send my wife when I'm out on my k- job, you know, up in Marietta and Travelers Rest in the country. I send her pictures of flowers that I find or if I come across some little squirrel that's doing something and then he's still there longer for me to get a picture. I send her pictures all the time of animals and flowers and stuff. But because I work out in the area, I wouldn't trade what I do to go do. I mean, I'm just imagining this guy right here. Well, I don't know what yeah. he does, but yeah. would you invest the years of seminary, or Bible college, and then go this route for a, something you don't want to actually be?
2: His whole goal was to be a millionaire. He went he went and got his degree in business. He started a, a a business. It failed. He said, I'll work countless hours, seventy, eighty, ninety hours a week, it failed. And then I'm looking at these guys. All you gotta do is read this this book and All you
1: gotta do is read this book for seventy or eighty, ninety hours a week.
2: Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but he's he sees the successfulness and he sees yeah. you know, p- p- because he's from an atheist standpoint, so he's seeing people Gullible, you're you're preaching a myth, and these people are just oh, I'll give you a million dollars, just because you're saying telling me if I do, guy's gonna give me back two million,
1: yeah,
2: or you know whatever, and so he he's seeing that, and Isn't you know I never,
1: our commercialism based on this too, everything yeah. on TV it has nothing to do with religion at all. No.
2: Well, I think you know just just talking about it, he's being gullible. I mean, he's doing this, he's being the same thing that he's gonna be. Telling other people, you know, he's like, "Well, all I have to do is do this, and this will happen." And but yeah, uh, so he, he his whole premise was, "I want to be a millionaire. What's the easiest way to get there?" And then he sees TV about preachers and people giving money, throwing money, and
1: Did you tell him maybe he should get into Amway. <laughs> I mean, he could he could get into a pyramid of some kind, and
2: <laughs> not tell him
1: that. <laughs> so we're not. Gonna- Our conversation <laughs> wasn't that long, but. anyway I'm sorry
2: I don't even know where we where we're going
1: we are facing to talk about the tomb we we were talking about Joseph of Arimathea that's
2: right people that priests can be there and even miss God yeah yeah Yeah. so
1: (laughs) okay so the women at the tomb
2: (laughs) the women at the tomb
1: my I guess I guess my kind of point is well it's not my point it's Matthew Mark and Luke's point
2: well do you mind if I go through mine real quick and then get Do to the it. women? Because yeah. mine's going to be very brief. Um, mine's going
1: to be briefer than yours, I bet.
2: Uh, probably not. <laughs> probably, probably not because you talk a not. lot. i on drugs right now. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> I, I took some pain medicine, so I'm a little uh, loopy. Um, so basically, I just want to, before David gets to the women, I want to get to the women and then let finish it off. <laughs> um the so the resurrection of Jesus I kind of deal with um you know the different viewpoints really quick is a new age they believe that Jesus had the Christ, which is a spirit or a force any of us can access that spirit um so he was just a man that uh tuned, if you, if tuned you have a lightsaber, in. yeah there you go <laughs> be be one with the force <laughs> um islam uh they believe that um the body was transformed into what? Actually, Jesus, or his body was stolen. Um, there's another group that believed that um, it was just a bunch of hallucinations that he didn't really rise from the dead. As people hallucinating, mass hallucinations. Mass. Well, that's yeah. that's what point. Is the problems with all those and any others you could think of throughout history that has been against the resurrection? Um, you're going against the Roman soldiers and the Roman history testimony. Yeah records, um, who are not believers, um, you're going against the Jewish eyewitnesses who are not in favor of, you know, they want to make sure Jesus is dead. The Roman yeah. soldiers have to make sure Jesus is dead. They do this for a living. Um, so, you know, these guys don't, you know, there's no transformation. There's no body swap. Um, they know Jesus is there. They're, they recognize you
1: him. Think about the Islamic take on that, too, that his, uh, he was saved because... God couldn't stand to take his Messiah and crucify him, so he put another guy in his place and made him look like him. You have faith in shapeshifters? I mean, that's literally what that is, if you think about it. Is is God making one guy's face look like another? He's literally changing his face, and then he's putting some guy who is not the Messiah. What did that guy do?
2: That's a good (laughs) point. Well, you think about it, you know, again, you have the soldiers who beat him whipped him how are you going to find another body that's whipped just as bad as Jesus was Yeah, that the soldiers recognized his own mother being there mother's going to recognize you know the mother recognizes the sound of a baby cry or a voice I mean you're looking at your kid there's no mistake um, his followers that have been with him all these years um, again like I said the Jewish guys who wanted him dead it's yeah. pretty, all these things are pretty important Um And then Jesus appears to over 500 people. Um, Mm -hmm. So hallucinations, I mean, if you get a bunch of people tripped on acid, they're going to see different things or have different hallucinations. You can't have one.
1: There is common suggestions. I haven't had, and I'm just speaking from my history with with drugs, with uh, hallucinogenic drugs, which I can't say anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But you do have some commonalities in your thinking about what you might be witnessing but i will say this when i saw things that were hallucinations of the reality that was in front of me i could tell my friends who were looking at the same thing often they could see what i described to them after i described it they were not seeing it without me telling them what i was seeing they could tell me something they saw in the same scenario and i could say oh yeah i see that It was not just something that we just all spontaneously saw at the same time. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, I'm I'm agreeing with your point.
2: Right. Um, Nicodemus, Mm -hmm. as we already talked about in John 19, um, yeah. Nicodemus is going to um, put the spices and the the uh, traditional herbs and the spices, herbs and spices. So he recognizes the body of Jesus. Um, Just a quick run through of some proofs or facts about the resurrection. Um, the disciples' eyewitnessing experience—they saw Jesus, they felt Jesus, and they touched Jesus. I um, mean, these are guys who were um, gave their life, some die, uh, were, were running and hiding, and they needed evidence. They didn't believe it, um, so they were able to see, feel, and touch Jesus to the point of—they um, all died a martyr death, except John, um, a lonely death at, at that. <coughs> um, There was an early proclamation of the resurrection that they didn't wait um, X amount of years after it happened. There was almost an immediate proclamation, even in Jerusalem, where people knew of Jesus. Yeah. And um, the empty tomb.
1: Fifty days after Passover. Yeah. Dies on Passover. Yeah, 50 days later. So it's not
2: very long. Um, The empty tomb. um, People can't—there's no body, so— I mean, <laughs> there's no evidence to support that Jesus did not die um, because people witnessed the body there. They took the herbs and spices there. The soldiers guarded the tomb of the body in there. So, but there's no body. So, on um, the, the proof of evidence is on the other obviously side. there
1: was a back door <laughs> to, to the tomb.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, what's the magician's name? Um, David Copper. Yeah, the Copperfield. Know. Yeah, Copperfield. <laughs> he was there. Um, <laughs> Uh, the church, um, how it took place and how it happened, which we'll get into later. The conversion of the brother James, because mm-hmm. um, he was not a believer. I mean, that was his stepbrother, and and he didn't become a believer till later. After um, the conversion of Paul, who was all about the Jewish lifestyle, um, and he had a comfortable life, and you know, Paul was the one that had it in reverse order. He meant the resurrection in Christ, and it led him to the cross. And the others were yeah. at the cross and led him to the resurrection. Ah, yeah, um, about that? And probably one of the biggest ones is Jesus' own testimony. He says, I will, I will rise again in three days. A bodily, a physical bodily resurrection. Yeah. Not a abstract, not a figurative... Um, he could have said anything to, I mean, we we see, we hear that all the time where people, you know, um, Buddha, well, he reached nirvana. How do we know? Right. There's no, Jesus said, here's how you're going to know that I'm the Messiah. I will physically in a body rise from that. You'll yeah. see me live again. So Jesus's own testimony is a um, pretty hard argument right. um, uh, for his And that was uh, three times
1: he said that.
2: Yeah. Um, so I put pretty much that we don't really want the truth. Um, Jesus even says when he speaks in parables, he <laughs> speaks in parables so people don't really understand. And, you know, when people, when he says that, it's almost like, you know, you don't really see me. You don't really hear me. But if you really don't want to know what I'm talking about, you got to find me. You got to follow me. You think about um, this
1: longer than, than after I walk away.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And the disciples were always like, well, what did you mean by this? And he was willing to share because they were genuinely seeking out truth yeah. and seeking out Jesus and he says, Those guys really they're not gonna remember what I said. It means nothing to them. I'm here one day, gone the next. Um, they're not really seeking truth. They don't really um they're not pursuing it. Um, just let me believe what I wanna believe. Almost like today where you know, you have different types of foods and uh like, have just gluten. just don't tell me, don't tell me what's in the ingredients. Just let me enjoy it because if you tell me where it's from or tell me what's in it, then it might ruin the experience. <laughs> um we don't really want to know the truth. We just want to enjoy our life. And right. it's the same thing when people say, you know, there's no resurrection or uh, different worldviews. We don't really want to know the truth. We just we like our life. <clears throat> we like how we're living. So just let us live the way we want to live. Yeah. So um I want to. I wrote down these lyrics to a song that I like.
1: Are you going to sing them to the tune?
2: <clears throat> me, 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 me. <laughs> I shouldn't. No. Um, but it's by a band called Stavesacre. It's called A Reason to Believe. I'm talking really fast, I think. <laughs> um, little, it so it says I hear the heart is where the mind and the body come together. If so, mine's been broken since the day I was born. I'm tired of the divide, and I'm, like, I'm not getting any younger. How does it feel to be whole? I've wasted so much time coming up with questions, asking why has never answered much for me, and really, who am I to never feel the weight of a burden when I was promised simplicity? Um, so really, the whole premise of the song is um, uh, just God being there. He doesn't really need a whole lot of evidence, But just being whole and feeling whole and feeling complete and not divided—that makes him feel. um, That's good. That's a good enough reason to believe. I think that's one of my evidences
1: too. Though is is that that lack of the lack of the black spiral is gone. That that's not a part of my life anymore, really. And I spent so many years down there. That's. I wasn't delivered from cigarettes and alcohol and this kind of thing like people talk about. And I wasn't suddenly healed from cancer and then I got saved and that kind of stuff. The thing that he just immediately took from me, I think we just recently said this again too, sorry, but it was taking me out of that black pit of depression. And that's that's where I see a major evidence of him. But it's one of those things, I can't give you the whole list, but when you mention something like that, it's like, huh, that's one of mine too, yeah.
2: Yeah, well, so if you think about it. You know, when Jesus says, "You know, what good is a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul?" Mm-hmm. There's something about when you become when you become. Uh, I wouldn't say back to your original state, but when you become whole, when you know when when our mind, when our soul and body and all that's not separated or distant or divided between God. I and— I would say
1: your original state.
2: Okay. Well, between, <laughs> between God and, and, you know, the spirit and the flesh, I'll say, when when it actually comes together, when you become a whole person and and you now feel that you are really an image of God, you were really made in the image of God, you are now a complete and whole person, um, the money and everything else really, it changes your perspective. And to me, that's another um, a proof of the resurrection is, uh, there's that wholeness that your perspective changes and you feel that completeness.
1: Yeah, I wasn't trying to be smart. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, no, you're good. Uh, let's see. I was just trying to lay eyes on it. Ephesians four, starting about twenty or twenty. Uh, but that is not the way you le- uh, you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and we were taught in him, as the trusted, as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created in that likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. The new self was created in the likeness of God.
0: Hmm.
1: That's New Testament. Old Testament says man was originally created in likeness of God. So God is trying to get us back to... restore. Yeah, plan B is plan A.
2: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, So I say that to bring me back to the women where um, when I was talking about the evidence and everything is women were the first witnesses of the resurrection, which is really weird. Yeah. Because women were not um, in that time. um, They really weren't um, seen as uh, not quality, but. credible. Credible witnesses in the court system, or whatever, so people wouldn't really believe them. So them to be the first witnesses of Jesus, the disciples are probably like, "Yeah, whatever, you're crazy."
1: Um, (laughs) One of them said, "Just like what I said to my wife, you know, this morning. (laughs) That's not logical." (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) What you're saying has no logic in it. (laughs) Right. Right.
2: So I had to
1: go tell her I'm sorry.
2: (laughs) So if you were making up a story, yeah. You wouldn't use a lady to present, to be the first eyewitness. You would use a man because they're going to be more credible yeah. than the lady. So, yeah. to me, using the women as the first witnesses of the resurrection is another evidence for uh, the resurrection. So,
1: uh, Isn't there also something about this issue where if you have women as witnesses, you need two or three of them? Yeah. So... My whole point of the women was what they bring to the story before the resurrection is they were sure where it was. The women at the tomb, they -hmm. were sure where it was. So, I mean, all four Gospels make this point for Mm -hmm. us. Uh, Matthew says, and he, Joseph, rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. He's describing the scenario when the stone was put there, they were sitting there they know where the tomb is. According to Matthew, according to Mark, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Real plain. (laughs) Luke says, the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. You know, Luke is the details guy. It's kind of odd to me. I just stuck out to me this time because I was looking at all four of them account of this, but they didn't just see that where the tomb was, they saw how his body was laid. Huh. So then you go in into the tomb later on, you see how the cloths are laid or folded, etc. Just thought it was a neat detail Luke would put in. In John nineteen, now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had been yet no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was closed at hand, they laid Jesus there. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She knew where it was. I mean, th- this... So we we see here, look, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph. The women, that's plural. There's... I'm mean, just getting to the same point you are getting at, but... Yeah. Because I've heard that argument also, like, they probably went to the wrong tomb. That's, don't be stupid.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: They, they took him, they were the ones that took him down. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus may have carried his body because they were physically stronger. They may have all shared the deal together in trying to carry this dead body. I mean, yeah, well, you're
2: going to go to your son's grave. I mean, follow him there. I mean, <coughs> right. You know, when my dad was buried, I, you know, I watched him being lowered in the ground. Mm-hmm. I'm just—it's just part of the process. You know, you—you you know, not to make sure he's going. Yeah. You know, but you know what I
1: mean. Not the you, same you, thing, but you know where that place is now. Yeah, yeah. You can Go back there right now.
2: Right. Yeah. Uh.
1: So the resurrection. Good old Monday morning. Right.
2: Yeah, by the way, I was going to say that, you know, the disciples, they needed evidence too. They wanted evidence. I mean, it's just not like they accepted the faith yeah. thing and everything's good in the world. These guys, they, they they didn't leave Mary. John and Peter ran to the tomb to check it out. Yeah. Um, Thomas needed to actually see him. Um, so these guys needed this... This evidence that we, you know, sometimes are seeking, they weren't some of the available
1: ones you were out right a few minutes ago. Yeah, right. yeah.
2: I mean, if you're if you're going to give up more of your life, then <laughs> you know want to make sure it's yeah. it's it's right. I'm not, you know.
1: Yeah. Let's so to ahead towards the resurrection. Okay. You anything else about women? You think else you want to say about women, Mark?
2: Nope. Go ahead. <laughs>
1: the resurrection. Uh, and I said Monday morning for some reason. I don't know why I have that typed here, but either way, uh, Matthew twenty-eight one through two. This is something too when you get into uh, into Revelation, where it said, where John says, "I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day." This whole I did a study then when I came across that, trying to define the Lord's Day. That's not ever any any other place defined as what day that is. All right. But the Lord's Day and Sunday, and the Sabbath. Those are not all equal, equals, equals. They're not apples, apples, apples. And when you go through the scripture, they're just different different things. The Sabbath being the one that sticks out, in my opinion, the Lord's Day is probably being, he's probably referring to Sunday. Or being John, who calls himself in his own gospel, the disciple whom Jesus loved. When you look at that kind of as a picture type that he says, I know he loves me, and I'm a general disciple. That's how I kind of view that terminology. He refers to himself. But if John is still kind of talking about things like that, then the Lord's Day is any day of the week. Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, whatever. He's always considering every day the Lord's Day. (laughs) Okay, Matthew 28, 1 through 2. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, so the first day of the week is not the Sabbath because the first day of the week is after the Sabbath. Right. Okay. Mary, Magdalene, and the other Mary went to the went to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel, of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Mark sixteen. When the Sabbath was past, very early on the first day of the week, so again Mark is verifying. They were saying to one another, "Who will roll away the stone?" And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in white robe, and they were alarmed. There are kind of a he's making reference to within the tomb. He's sitting on the right side. They're making reference of how things are arranged physically. It just kind of goes along with that detail of they saw how the body was laid. Luke 24. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Uh, dot, dot, dot. They went in, dot, dot, dot. Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. So here's one of those little places there's a different detail. If you were met by some angels, and let's say you and I went to a place and there, were, there was an event that angels showed up in shining light suits of white and then we told somebody about the event could it have impressed us differently oh yeah to the point of i thought there was one angel and you said no there was two
2: well like you could have been fixated on one just like in all of like you know
1: you yeah the the moment
2: takes away from some of the details where i could be like no there was there was two you don't remember the one on the right
1: I could say no. I was, fixation yeah. was the word I was thinking literally. Yeah, I was fixated on the one directly in front of me, and I just couldn't look away. Right. But uh, either way, that's not something I th- I see as a contrasting detail myself.
2: Not but. really. I mean, you 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 know you can get into a wreck and have several eyewitnesses and yeah. different you know people will remember different things of the event. Yeah. You know, someone's going to focus on. Well, they were turning left. Well, I remember it was raining, and they slid. I mean, so. Uh,
1: A person in the car who gets hit is going to have a different perspective from somebody who's on the sidewalk who sees that the guy who's hitting them is looking at his phone. Yeah. The person who gets hit is going to have a very different perspective, but (laughs) they're all involved in it, the situation. That's That's a good point. Uh, Mary went and saw and heard the angel and then went to tell the other disciples. John gives it in different order, but he gives the same information. So all these these first three guys are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, were saying, Mary went and saw, heard the angel, and then went and told the other disciples. John says in John twenty, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept she stooped to look in the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting there with the body of G Je- where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. She sees that first and then goes and tells. But uh all same information between all four of them. Yeah. So I kind of got into resurrections, like bodily resurrection. I guess this might be. <laughs> this is too many more pages.
2: You want to call it and let's call it and uh, start resurrection to the church. Resurrection the to the
1: church, because uh, this is kind of. i uh, just to tell you my heading name. So the next couple of pages right here. Bodily resurrection. There's one I'm, I'm really interested in. What you think? But we'll we'll wait. The unsung resurrection. Then there's the unjust resurrection. And in good preacher form, there's a third one: the undeath resurrection.
2: <laughs> so you're talking about all the resurrections as far as
1: yes, and the rapture of the just. The rapture and all that. Yeah. That's okay. the, as because the de- there's a detail here of a, what I call the unsung resurrection. That's what took me down this route to, to talk about these. Okay. But we'll talk about the different resurrections in the next one, and then uh, the way to decide which one you want to end up at. <laughs>
0: Thanks for listening to the Two Spies Podcast. If you would like to join in on the conversation, go to NUMA.life and leave a comment. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Music, or whatever app you're listening on. For additional articles on faith and life, visit NUMA.life.